Hey fam, so this was supposed to be a dream episode, but it ended up going for almost, I think it went for over an hour. Uh, so it's basically a fucking podcast, but really it's an in-between episode and we dive into Mercedes' dream. Uh, if you haven't checked out Mercedes' podcast, it came out before this one, so you can go peep that in the iTunes or Spotify or whatever it is that you're using. And um, this is the most in-depth I've ever danced with a dream. Uh, so check it out. And if you would like for me to interpret one of your dreams, um, yeah, I guess I'm going to reopen that thing. Uh, if you leave a crystal ball emoji with your Instagram handle on Instagram, when I get back from sipping the DMT brew in Costa Rica, um, you, I will try to get you on the podcast to record a dream. So, uh, Hope you guys enjoy us getting super weird, interpreting a dream, getting way too revealing with her psyche, but she was down to do it. So I appreciate it. And I appreciate you guys for listening. I love you. Namaste. All right. Mercedes, thank you for coming back on the podcast. And today we're going to do a dream episode. I haven't done one of these in a minute, and I am excited because apparently you got to do ayahuasca in your dream. <laughs> thank you for having me. And yeah, I don't, I don't know how this is going to sound to to you and your listeners, and so I'm kind of interested to see. We're going to judge you very harshly, so just yeah. be ready. Um, no, I know that this is a this is a safe place for for this type of exploration, <laughs> but I'm saying that obviously in a dream or any experience in life, it's so self based. You know, it's only that you are experiencing um, that reality. So for me, it was it was really interesting to have been in this this uh, world of you know with with Jade and and my podcast and exploring plant medicine through other people, but not being, you know, doing it myself, um, for this to come to me in a dream the way it did. And, and just to give you like a heads up on what, what I guess I felt as far as the ayahuasca thing here, it's not like any of it. I didn't actually go and take plant medicine in a jungle or something like that in my dream, but I did at the end, it just, was obvious that that is what you guys who, you know, the people I've spoke to about plant medicine <laughs> are talking about like this yeah. experience. So that's, what's going on. Cool. Also, when you're ready. Okay. So I, this is, this is something that I told you, Eric, I, I woke up for, I think it was like 3am. I woke up after this dream and got up could like I, there was no sleeping to be had after that i was like i need to write this shit down like this is not just the normal i have very vivid dreams generally but this was not just a vivid dream this was like some other experience for, sure. for me and yeah. um so i got up and journaled for like hours and hours and so i'm gonna actually read the journal entry music to my ears beautiful yeah <laughs> and i also want to preface it by saying mom and dad if you're listening stop listening um because this is gonna be <laughs> <laughs> very sexually explicit uh i redacted pretty much everyone's name out of the journal entry that's you know personal people in my life but um <clears throat> my husband said he's it's okay to 
keep his name in here. So you can't really, uh, it's pretty cool because he, none of this really phases him. Like at first he'd be like, no, that sucks. Don't talk about that. <laughs> it makes me yeah. sound like shit. I'm like, okay. I give it a few days. I'm like, so how do you feel now? He's like, I don't care. Just do it. You're going to, you're going to bug me until you do it anyway. <laughs> so. And the um, thing that I want to offer is that if I'm going to interpret it to the best of my ability, mm-hmm. I am going to ask you at least um, what these people represent to you. Like, what are the first couple of things that come to mind when you think of them? So if that can be done without revealing their identity, oh, for sure. uh, then we'll do it. Okay, cool. Yeah, no problem. Okay. So I just had name, like actual specific names in here because it was obviously my own journal. So it was referencing people. For sure in the shortest way possible, but I tried to adjust that so it wouldn't be too much. And then I just also might mention that the, you know, this is obviously me like articulating the visuals in my dream, but there's going to be my own reasoning peppered throughout. Just that's the way I wrote it. So yeah, perfect. All right, let's go. All right. I was in a room with some friends who didn't, seem like particularly close friends. They were laughing and witnessing Chris, my husband, laying naked on the floor on his yoga mat, jerking off. His penis erect as he haphazardly yanked on it. I I was irked, but showing no real emotion outwardly in reaction to Chris. And so I walked from the back of the room where I was hanging with my girlfriends past Chris and paused as I passed him. And he asked me to suck his dick. Like I said, this is going to be a little explicit at the start, at least. (laughs) No, but I appreciate Um, you being honest. Okay. Um, And I think we talked to Eric uh, on the first time we had you on our show about I have these sexual dreams like pretty much every month during the height of my ovulation. And so, again, this was during the height of uh, my ovulation. Interesting, um, yeah. This month. Yeah. So it's it's not rare at all for me to have like very explicit sexual dreams. Uh, based dreams during that time. <clears throat> so, and I know all your listeners are there. They can get with this without being like, well, this chick, <laughs> I mean, you might no, think I'm crazy. That's sure cool because it. I do too, but, <laughs> 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 but you, you'll understand this is all coming from some other place in my mind. Yeah. Um, okay. So I, I walk past Chris and he asked me to suck his dick. I, I did not comply, but hinted for him to follow me to a different room so we could have sex. And I continued walking out of the room. He didn't follow. So after a quick moment, I returned to see him still in the room with the other girls. He was standing now in front of the sink, his penis flaccid. Now I'm entirely pissed off. I asked him if he just came knowing full well that he did. And knowing that I was ready and willing to have sex with him, he unashamed relayed that he did just come and uh, reasoned that he didn't have the time or energy to put in the work of having sex with me right now. He just needed a quick one. With that, I was enraged and ashamed with feelings that told me I didn't matter to him. I wasn't a priority. And even the thing that tends to attract most men to me and holds their attention, sex, wasn't able to hold his. I brought him into the next room and berated him I sat on top of him all while angry at him and sexually frustrated, hopeful his sexual energy and appetite would resurface and quench my ego's thirst. He has nothing to give me, or he had nothing to give me, no genuine interest. Enraged, I grabbed him by the neck and thrust him against the wall with superhuman-like strength powered by my untamed sexual energy. 
As we were squabbling, and since we were in a room made of clear glass walls, I could see as my older stepsister rode by on a horse and carriage, which is not rare for her because she actually like raises horses and all kinds of, I have a lot of horse hmm. stuff in my family. So <laughs> all the people in my family around horses and she worked for medieval times and all kinds of things. So she's wearing full medieval costume gear, by the way, in this, in, in this uh, image of her passing me wow. by. So she slowed and watched us through the glass walls as she passed, but she didn't stop as if just to add further judgment and shame to the situation. As I held Chris up against the wall, I angrily spoke directly into his ear. Well, if you're not going to fuck me, then can I fuck other people? As I said it, I was flooded with anxiety of what his answers would be. I didn't want to ever have to even ask that question. Instead, what I wanted was to feel wanted by him. I wanted his desire to be as strong and violent as mine. I definitely didn't want him to answer the question affirmatively because it would lock in any predisposed notions I'd made up in my head about him no longer, quote unquote, caring about me to keep me, <clears throat> or sorry, caring enough about me to keep me. He replied, telling me he wasn't interested in that option, which gave me sim simultaneous relief and frustration. The dream carried on as dreams do, skipping ahead. So next, we're headed out to an event that we've been planning to attend for a while. It was dark out, and I was still pent up and hostile. Chris, seemingly unperturbed, carried on per usual. And we were now at the airport where we found out that only two of us in the group we were in, um, those with status, would secure tickets. And that was my stepdad and myself. And the rest of the group would likely have to drive to our destination. So my stepdad and I boarded the plane, and my sisters, mom, and Chris, we presumed, would be driving together. On the plane, my stepdad and I shared a large, comfortable bed, which worried me that a sexual vibe or tension or advance might arise from this, but none did. And instead, we had pleasant conversation, and uh, the subject of which I don't recall. Um, once we arrived... And as I deplaned, I saw our group, my sisters and Chris, on the plane and was surprised. They'd got on standby somehow. And I felt a tug of shame of how easy it was for me to separate from the group and ride on status. So skipping ahead again, as dreams do, later now in the day and very dark out, our group arrived at a theater. My male boss uh, from the company I work for, for and other employees and associates from work with notable status joined us as we now approached the venue. I ducked into the small entrance stairwell first, just ahead of the rest. Realizing I had no shoes on but just black socks, I hoped no one would notice and I'd be allowed entry without issue. I'd recalled uh, Chris had said he gave my shoes to our friends that'd be meeting us at the event earlier in the day. Can Still I pause you for a moment? Yep. I'm sorry. Um, when you said the black socks, did you hiccup? No. Okay, go on. Um, do you need me to say any part again? No. Okay. <laughs> Still, I was, uh, see, yeah. Still, I was nervous as I climbed down the stairs and passed the theater attendants toward the theater. As I landed at the reception, the lights beamed onto my black socks, making it obvious that I was shoeless. The guard there stopped me and notified me that I couldn't come in without shoes on. My stomach sunk with some shame again, the feeling of incomplete not-enoughness, and this time the embarrassment would be in front of my bosses. 
The guard asked me to step aside as the others in my group exited the narrow staircase into the tiny reception landing. As I did my best to step out of the way, I stepped down in, in between the last rows of seats in the back of the theater. Showtime was very near, so the theater was already entirely full. The seating area in the back was all children, mostly in middle school age range. I wedged my way between two preteen girls who were unimpressed by my shoeless feet and made some snide comments under their breath. I stepped into the entry space, excuse me, I stepped into the empty space just in front of them, and my leg bumped the back of the seat in the next row. A chubby, redheadish preteen boy was leaning back in the seat and looked up at me with disdain and agitation. He barked some of his disapprovals at me. Hey, watch it. Can't you stand somewhere else? Uncomfortable where I stood, being judged and nudged by these children, I watched as my group climbed out into the reception platform. They scanned their tickets and carried on toward the VIP boxes around the corner. Some of them stopping to ask what my holdup was, me explaining as little as possible as to avoid further embarrassment. <clears throat> With shoulder-length blonde hair, Chris entered the theater last, and as the guard scanned and, and the guard scanned his ticket. Um, and by the way, Chris is a brunette now as an adult, and he wears his hair short, but as a young child, his hair was long and blonde. So I like, think California SoCal surfer mm -hmm. kid. Um, I informed Chris that they weren't letting me in because I needed shoes. Chris confirmed that he told our other friends to bring my shoes earlier, but when I asked if he knew what seats they were in, he, he said he didn't, and he couldn't reach them by phone either. Chris sh shrugged as if unable to help me any further carry on. <clears throat> Sorry, Chris shrugged as if unable to help me any further and carried on toward the rest of the group, um, toward where the rest of the group had gone. I'd hoped he'd stay with me, but he didn't. Distraught and now beginning to cry, I stood with the guard as he apologized that he wasn't going to be able to permit me entrance. I watched as the back of Chris's blonde-haired head disappeared around the corner and thought to myself, this was the last straw. It's over between us. I hated that thought, but I knew it was true. There was nowhere there for my ego to live. I was devastated. I clung to the handrail at the entrance to the exit stairwell and gazed through the tearful eyes. <clears throat> I gazed through tearful eyes in the direction where Chris had been. The theater was booming with noise of thousands of people chatting and laughing, soft music playing in the background, setting the mood for the upcoming show. I could hear nothing but the sound of my own heartbreak. It was heavy and unbearably painful. I thought to myself, all the logic in the world won't get me out of this feeling. I felt empathy for everyone whom I'd given logical tools to in the midst of their heartbreak. And although the tools were useful, I, know, I knew that they couldn't hold them through this pain. So as the feeling strengthened and darkened, I remembered my tools, but stayed in the pain. It was crushing, like gravity pulling me down. I unlatched my hand from the handrail and sunk into a nearby cart that looked very much like a baby carriage. Tears flooding, blinded, my core wrenching into one big knot and the rest of my body following it into a fetal position. I lay in this cart, pulling a black blanket over me to hide while I mourn. The cart moves. I assume one of the theater attendants is pushing it to wherever it belongs. Still in a haze of sadness, I feel the cart make a few turns inside the theater as it's pushed. 
I lose track of where it's headed, and I regress into my pain. Sometime later, I peek my head out from under the black blanket to see a man's face staring in my direction. And then notice there are many faces staring staring as I... Uh, notice there are many faces staring, as a matter of fact. The entire theater is looking my way. I turn my head to see that my cart has been parked right next to the stage. And there's an orgy of nude, aggressively sexual adults commingling as part of the show. The man I saw when I first peeked out from under the blanket is watching intently as one of the nude women gyrates and fondles herself. I watch half horrified and more than half intrigued by this vibrant display of sexuality. Men and women all with beautiful bodies performing strange and exaggerated sexual acts. I notice all the men have rock hard erections and think they must have to take a stimulant like Viagra to stay hard for this performance night after night. I knew this particular show goes on for 30 days in a row. I'm impressed with that type of dedication, but concerned for their health. And as I looked even closer still, I realized that they were actually wearing penis extensions to lengthen their members and give the full-bodied look that was apparently their costume. This momentary distraction from my current state of malaise is short-lived, and again, my sadness consumes me. I pull the black blanket over my head again. Time passes. I awaken, and it is quiet now. No noises signifying the hustle and bustle of a busy theater. Just me. As I sit up from under the black blanket, I see a janitor cleaning the last bit of trash from the far side of the dimly lit theater. I go unnoticed. He's finished for the night, and he opens a door near him in order to exit for the night. I consider shouting at him, worried I'll be left alone, unable to escape this theater for for the night. I decide not to make my presence known and afraid there may be consequences for me not leaving when I was asked to earlier. The door clicks closed behind him. I'm alone. I begin climbing out of the cart, and as I do, a version of me steps out of my body and departs hastily toward the side exit door. Wait, I yell as I attempt to gather a bunch of my random belongings that were in the cart with me. The other version of me doesn't slow, and I just see the back of her head as she pushes through the side exit. Annoyed and frantic, I notice all... Yep. Is it the left side or the right side? Mm, right, I think. Wait, wait, it steps out or what do you mean? Um, where she leaves. Is it to your right or to your left? If I had to guess, I would say my right. Okay. She definitely exits to the right of the theater. And I'm in the Got kind it. of middle stages. I'm kind of like to the left of the stage if you're at, on stage, stage left. Got it. And so she kind of goes, I don't remember her coming directly out of my right side, but I do know she ran directly to the right. I see. Um, so she runs towards, pushes through the side exit. Annoyed and frantic, I notice all my items are actually already in an oversized bag. So I collect and wrangle the bag over my shoulder and run toward the side exit. As I push through the door, I see that it leads to an over uh, to an underground pathway where the utilities are housed. I see a door that says, caution, high voltage, and I check the handle. It's locked. I'm wondering where the other version of myself ran off to and am concerned with finding her again. I continue jogging down this path, hoping to find an outlet. The path leads me behind a large cement parking garage, and I'm able to climb out into the natural, rocky, forested landscape that surrounds the theater and parking lot. I'm free. But where is that version of myself that ran off? I notice 
how scenic and lush the landscape is. And I think to myself that this would be a good place to shoot a calendar. As I'm climbing down one of the large boulders towards flat ground, I see her. The other version of me, she's still on the run. I have a feeling she sees me, but purposely purposefully ignores me and is moving quickly in the opposite direction from where I'm headed. I call out, hey. She ignores me and keeps moving. So I call it again, Mercedes. She slows, but doesn't turn around. I say, I know you hear me. She stops and she turns slowly, exposing her face to the light of the nearby parking structure. Her hair is wavy and curly and natural, and she's dressed in plain casual clothes. Her face, though, is riddled with pockmarks and swollen red blisters. Her expression is of shame and sadness, and her pain is palpable. Diseased, abandoned, unwanted. She says something to the effect of, I'm going to go. It's better this way. A deep sadness in her voice. She turns and continues walking away. I call to her again. I say, I don't want you to go. She stops and turns toward me again. She looks directly at me, and I maneuver back up the boulder a bit to see her fully. And as I get a clear view, I notice there are two of her, identical twins, Gemini. They both gaze at me, straight into me, their bright, clear, honey-brown eyes almost glowing, intense, piercing, somehow both frightening and heart-wrenching at the same time. I think to myself, this must be Aya, and I wake up. Whoa, okay. What comes up for you when you finish reading that? I feel like about a bazillion things, but what, I mean, through the different stages that I go through, which in that dream felt like a whole like like the reason that it feels like I is because it was such a long journey of literally going through, like I had asked for grounding the few months ahead of that and had been sh- being shown it over and over again. So like grounding and humbling through this rejection from my husband and maybe even like the shame I feel from my uh, family members and friends and that type of thing that witness all what's happening in my sexual life or relationship and the status thing, like realizing that I need to humble myself, you know, like, and maybe the karma that somehow is involved with, um, for me using status or, or holding status as important to me. And then the, this, that shame is just this like literal virus that I'm wearing on my face. I mean, like it is binding me and it's it's a part of me i'm i'm like been rejecting that i need to accept i guess um and how much sadness it brings and then my attachment to things like when i'm collecting the things in my bag uh and instead of running after this part of me that's so important you know that i know i need to find or accept again or figure you know find her and then my attachment to people like to chris um, and to the idea that people hold about me, like to what my bosses would think about me, what these kids think about me in the in the theater, and 
uh, my codependency on on a really on a few things like my my ideas around how I'm validated through sex or sexual acts and there's like a lot of things tied up into that which you know of course includes shame as well but also just like using that as a tool to feel validated like to validate my ego yeah um and then I'd say the other thing is um, logic isn't always a solution and I need to soften essentially like I mean to make that type of space and time for myself to hold myself instead of just like use tools <laughs> so there's a lot that comes up Eric <laughs> what comes up for you <laughs> <laughs> so I want to try to do something that I haven't yet done on the show that I learned from interviewing a psychotherapist a couple of weeks ago. And I'm going to ask you to retell the dream. And I'm going to stop you often to tell you, I'm going to try to put myself in your soul in this dream. And I'm mm -hmm. going to stop you and tell you what I'm feeling at certain points and then ask you to clarify for me and then I'll step I'll step out of that role and be the Jungian and you know add what I think is happening there. So okay. um, <clears throat> I'm going to ask you to retell it. I'm going to stop you often. I'm going to talk as if I'm you, and then I'm going to ask you to clarify. And then I'll offer as Eric, you know, um, what what comes up for me about that image. Okay, sounds good. Let's try it. I was in a room with some friends. They weren't particularly close friends, it didn't seem. Um, They're laughing and witnessing Chris, my husband, laying naked on the floor on his yoga mat, jerking off. His penis, I could see, was erect and he was haphazardly yanking on it. I irked, but showing no real emotion outwardly. In reaction to Chris, walked from the back of the room where I was hanging with my girlfriends past Chris as I paused and passed him or as I paused, as I passed him, um, he asked me to suck his dick. And I did not comply, but hinted for him to follow me to a different room. So All right, we pause. Could have mm -hmm. All right. So it feels like I'm in a room with both my partner and peers whose opinion I care about. And the reason that I'm upset is because it feels like my partner is acting in a way that is... Um, socially just wrong. Mm -hmm. Is that accurate? In the dream, I remember that that part about him like masturbating in front of people wasn't... It was like annoying, like this isn't exactly... PC, you know, like this isn't what we should be, this is not what you should be doing because it's, it's not normal, but it also wasn't like a, the big irk for me. It was more was that irk? I think that he was sexual, maybe it was like the, re I'm trying to figure out the reason that the other people were in there, but you want me to look at this as just like the feelings I was having in the dream, right? In the dream, yeah. Just um, whenever I pa or interject here, just clarify for me 
what your feeling was in the dream. No reasoning, no analytical thinking, just the feelings. <laughs> okay. So the feeling was that I wanted that attention. That you wanted the attention that the women were giving him, or you wanted the attention no. that he was giving was his giving himself. dick. I see. Right. Okay. Uh, continue. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I, I, oh, I hinted for him to follow me to a different room so we could have sex, and I continued walking out of the room. And I noticed he didn't follow me. So after a quick moment, I returned to see him still in the room with the other girls. He was standing in front of a sink now, his penis flaccid. Now, entirely pissed off, I asked him if he'd just came, knowing full full well that I was ready and willing to have sex with him. He, unashamed, relayed that he did and reasoned that he didn't have the time or energy to put in the work of having sex with me right now. He just needed a quick one. With that, I was enraged and ashamed with feelings that told me I didn't matter to him, I wasn't a priority, and even the thing that tends to attract men most to me and holds their attention, sex, wasn't able to hold his. I brought him into the next room and berated him. I sat on top of him, all while angry at him and sexually frustrated, hopeful his sexual energy and appetite would resurface and quench my ego's thirst. He had nothing to give me, no genuine interest. Enraged, I grabbed him by the neck and thrust him against the wall with superhuman-like strength powered by my untamed sexual energy. As we were squabbling, and since we were in a room made of clear glass walls, I could see as my old... Yep. So, um, everything that happens up until the point of you seeing your your stepsister, Mm -hmm. it feels like this is... um, You can think of dreams as like... um, the core of our being is this like emotional core that is like the sun and it gives off solar flares. And these flares are like these really highly charged emotions that are coming from our emotional brain. And then the flare passes through like a filter and then the filter is our personal psyche and then it generates these symbols. And it feels like the first major solar flare of this dream is that there is this feeling in you that um, the thing that you have been taught as, you know, by culture as like one of your most powerful um, validation exchanging tools is not working. It's not providing you the validation that your ego is seeking. And um, most of us, especially when we're in a deeply committed relationship, we are projecting our inner, our, our soul, really, um, onto our partner. And for a woman, your soul, quote-unquote, is going to be, it tends to be represented as a masculine force because that brings you the balance to your feminine ego, and we project it onto our partner. And so when um, Chris is when Chris is in your dreams, he almost always is going to be a representation of your animus, not always, but most of the time. And it feels like this first part of your dream is um, metabolizing the energy that 
you feel that you're using, you're trying to use your best ego tricks Mm -hmm. to connect to your animus and your animus is not properly responding. And this is enraging to you. Um, What I feel- Can you define animus for me? Yeah, so um, animus is gonna be your inner masculine qualities um, for women. So really, whatever energetic force you hold in your persona, which is the part of you that you present to the world, like mine is masculine, yours is feminine, but it doesn't have to just, it's not a one-to-one thing based off of what type of genitalia you have. But for most people, if you're in a male body, you your outward energy is masculine. Therefore, your inward energy is going to be feminine to bring this balance. Mm-hmm. So as a female, your outward energy is feminine. And this internal energy is going to be your masculine. And in Jungian psychology... As a female, your animus is your bridge to your God or to your inner self, whatever you would want to call that thing. And for me, my bridge to that deeper wisdom is going to be my anima, which is going to almost mm-hmm. always be represented as a female in my dreams. Oh, okay. Um, so this first part of the dream feels like this is um, – energy that you have dealt with before. Like it feels like the way that your energy or that your dream is representing these symbols is they seem mundane. But then we're about to get a symbol that feels like it's reaching further back in time, which would be a representation of like deeper, more archetypical energies. And so um, could you continue telling the dream story? Yeah. So, as we were squabbling and since we were in a room made of clear glass walls, I could see as my older stepsister rode by on a horse and carriage wearing full medieval costume. She slowed and watched us as she passed but didn't stop, as if just to add further judgment and shame to the situation. So pause. As I held Chris up against... What am I feeling when I see her in the carriage? Um, annoyed. At? At onlookers because they're just poking more fun at the situation or, or just witnessing something that is, um, I want to say like shameful or unfavorable. I see. And energetically in the dream i feel that other people are witnessing my husband not being sexually attracted to me and that this feels like deeply shameful and insecure yes okay go on as i held chris up against the wall i angrily spoke directly into his ear Well, if you're not going to fuck me, then can I fuck other people? As I said that, I was flooded with anxiety of what his answer would be. I didn't want to ever have to ask that question. What I wanted was to feel wanted by him. I wanted his desire to be as strong and violent as mine. 
I definitely didn't want him to answer the question affirmatively because it would lock in any predisposed notions I'd made up in my head about him no longer, quote unquote, caring enough about me to keep me. He replied, telling me he wasn't interested in that option, which gave me simultaneous relief and frustration. The dream carried on, as dreams do, skipping ahead. Next, so we were here. headed out to an event. Mm-hmm. Quick pause. Um, there are aspects to this dream that uh, I don't think we should get into on the recording of the podcast. So I'm gonna, um, I'm going to get into it from a Jungian standpoint and it feels like this is like this first so whenever the scene changes in a dream it tends to represent like the end of like one full energetic message that you're getting from the unconscious and then um, whatever scene comes after that is almost like it's your psyche showing you like what your habitual response is when you feel that first emotion like you can almost think of each scene in the dream is like a movement in the symphony and um your psyche tends to show you like what okay let me see how i can articulate this whatever energy you're feeling in the first scene of a dream is some energy that you have felt in your life a lot. And we each have created some type of coping pattern in our life to deal with a feeling. So for example, if I feel insecure about my position at work, I will go and work extra hard on the weekend. Symbolically, my dream, my unconscious might provide a dream where I'm frantically trying to find like a piece of paper that I have to turn into a professor and I can't find it. And then the dream transforms and I'm in the forest and I'm cutting down like a hundred trees. And my psyche is showing me how I actually cope to whatever this emotional pattern is that is in my life. And so the first movement of this dream is I feel shame. And then we go to the next movement. So can you start um, the next scene? Mm-hmm. We're headed out to an event that we'd been planning to attend for a while. It was dark out, and I was still pent up and hostile. Chris, seemingly unperturbed, carried on per usual. We were now at the airport where we found out that only two of us in the group those with quote-unquote status, would secure tickets. My stepdad and myself and the rest of the group would like, so my stepdad and myself were the ones who had status, and the rest of the group would likely have to drive to our destination. Pause, please. Um, What are the first couple of things that come to mind when you think of your stepdad? Mm, Kind of like, I want to say hard, hard, like harsh, like a, like a, he works in construction, so I feel like he's very like brash with his wording and the way that he just speaks to people in general. Um, and so always comes off as like uh, mean, essentially. But he's not like I don't ever see him as I don't really think of the first thing when I think of him as mean, but I know he has that outer. That's the way people perceive him usually Okay, from the outside. 
Please continue. My stepdad and myself, uh, so my stepdad and I boarded the plane and my sister's mom and Chris would presumably be driving to our destination. Um, On the plane, my stepdad and I shared a large, comfortable bed, which worried me that a sexual vibe or tension or advance might arise from this, but none did. And instead, we had a pleasant conversation, the subject of which I don't recall. Once we arrived, and as I deplaned, I saw our group, my sisters and Chris, on the plane and was surprised. They'd got on standby. I felt a tug of shame of how easy it was for me to separate from the group and ride on status. Skipping ahead again in the dream. Pause, um, okay. Later now. Okay. So it's it feels like your psyche is showing you that the response to the you know, old, old feeling of shame was this. um, So most of the time, the way that we cope with whatever wound we get, and we all get a wound when we're a child, is we either become depressed or we become inflated. We either Mm -hmm. try to sink below the obstacle or we try to fly above it. And it seems that your psyche is showing you that your response to the initial wounding was to use status, and the way to for you to get status was to internalize the inner judge, which I think is represented by your stepfather, who is harsh and critiquing and critical, but also able to help you build things in the world. And um, this separated you from your true parts, which I think are represented by Chris and um, the two women. I think you said your stepsister and your mother. Um, The ones that are in the car together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's just actually my younger sisters that belong to this, to my stepdad um, and my mom and Chris. I see. Okay. Um, Yeah, and it feels like some part of you knows that the part of your life where you use the inner judge to get status and then use status to try to um, overcome the shame, uh, some part of you knows that that cuts you off from other parts of you. Mm-hmm. But the beautiful thing is that the dream shows you is that they still came along for the ride. And now we're on to scene three. Hmm. So just can I give something back with that? Please, yeah. So with the... My stepdad, I would, I'd say maybe the way that I heard you articulate his role in that, I don't know that sets with me. I feel like he wasn't so much, I suppose he could be critiquing of his daughters and such, but he was more removed in my life. Like he never was very um, uh, present really. Like he wasn't really trying to be a a dad figure in my life, you know, like he was, of course, he's been around so long that it, he had a lot of effect on me, but, um, I still had my dad in my life and I lived with my dad. So my stepdad was much more removed as that part of it. What other, other qualities weird... would you use to describe your stepdad? Cause the first one you said was kind of hard and harsh and constructive or hard and harsh. And he was into construction. Um, yeah. So bed, tend to represent like this is a place where we're connecting with whatever this other energy is. And Mm -hmm. um, the reason why it felt like it was your internal judge was because it felt like it was clearly a father figure and 
it was connecting to you and it was the only part of you that was allowed on the plane with you at the beginning. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. I'll have to sit with that more. I'm not sure how it fits exactly. For sure. And one of the things about dream interpretations is that if it doesn't resonate, it's probably wrong. So, you know, just take what I say with a grain of salt. Okay. I have to think about it more, how that all fits in. Okay. So we're going to pick back up on, um, so later now and very dark out, our group arrived at the theater. My male boss and other employees and associates from work were uh, with these people with notable status um, joined us as we, yep. How do I feel about my boss? This boss, I, I think he's kind and um, fair. Okay, beautiful. Um, approach the venue. Okay, so uh, a bunch of people basically from work that were like the higher-ups joined us as we approached the venue. I ducked into the small entrance stairwell first, just ahead of the rest. Realizing I had no shoes on but just black socks, I hoped no one would notice and I'd be allowed entry without issue. I'd recalled Chris had said he'd given my shoes to our friends that'd be meeting us at this event earlier in the day. What Still, am I feeling about the shoes? How do I feel when I look down and I see that I don't have shoes? You're like, oh shit, I'm not going to be able to get in. Like I'm missing something. I see. Okay, go on. I'd recalled Chris had said he gave my shoes to our friends that'd be meeting us at the event earlier in the day. Still, I was nervous as I climbed down the stairs and passed the theater attendants toward the theater. As I landed at the reception, the lights beamed onto my black socks, making it obvious that I was shoeless. Pause. Guard- so this is a really interesting image to me that um, like the lights of the venue highlighted your shoes. My no shoes. Or your lack of shoes. Yeah. Yeah, that seems like really interesting. Like basically it was a dark, dark, very small, smushed kind of hard to get through stairwell, like really steep and obviously not anything like a real theater would be. It was like very short. Like you had, a, if you've ever been to the pyramids, it was like crawling through the entrance of a pyramid, like having to crawl all the way down in the shaft. Interesting. Almost. Okay. <laughs> and so I get to the bottom and when I get to the bottom, the light, of you know the theater because now i'm out of this dark shaft of stairs it's like you can see now much more obviously than when i was in the stairs that i don't have shoes on because Mm. there's lights there so was this a descent yes down i see okay you want to go on oh no please (laughs) keep going my brain is churning (laughs) Um, the guard there when I landed there at the bottom um, the guard there stopped me and notified me that I couldn't come in without shoes on my stomach sunk with shame again the feeling of incomplete not enoughness and this time the embarrassment would be in front of my bosses so quick Um, it feels like the story that I can feel my mind is making from listening to this dream is that there was an initial wounding when you were young and then for a period of your life, your way of um, dancing with that wounding was to use your very 
analytical mind to rise above it. But then there was a second event in your maybe either late teenage years or early 20s or mid-20s where um, you were basically judged and found lacking. And at least that's the story of how you interpreted what happened. And I think that that feels like the descent and then the guard basically saying you cannot go forward. And um, from what I remember from the first time that you told this dream is that this was basically when you hit the lowest emotional point in the dream. And it, it felt the way that you told the story is almost like you reverted back to like an infant type of a emotional state. But mm-hmm. does that resonate? Yeah, I find myself in that state of mind often. I call it like my pity party state or um, even yeah. in like extreme elation. I find myself about, I think, I think I'm like four or five, I want to say. Um, like in life in general, not just in dreams, but I mean, just in life in general, I can see myself kind of go in and out of that that young, young mindset. But yeah, what comes up for me when you say that is um, my, so my parents got divorced when I was five. They finally like, you know, split, split, but probably at four or five is when that was all kind of getting figured out. And I was living, you know, with my dad, my mom was somewhere else. So I think what's coming up and makes sense in that is the distance or I want to say the, so my dad, once, once my parents split, he ended up with my stepmom who I just abhorred. I mean, she was just not nice to, to me and my little sister. And, um, many times, and then her, her, her daughters, who is the, one of them is the one that we saw earlier in the medieval garb, um, riding by on the horse and carriage. So at first they were really not nice to me. I mean, later in life they were, you know, when we grew up, I was with them for like 20 something years after all that. But in the very beginning, you know, I'm five years old, my sister's like four and my parents just split. And of course that's, was absolutely devastating for me and my sister and all you ever want when your parents split, especially at that age is for them to get back together. And you just have this like belief that they're going to somehow end up back together. Well, I think because he chose this woman who over and over would tell her like, we, she's not nice to us. Her, you know, this, this situation we're living in feels like we always walk on eggshells and, um, and definitely not enough, you know, like it always felt like her daughters were, uh, I don't know, I guess pr- preferred, of course, because they're her daughters over, over us, Tara and my, my, my little sister and myself. And, um, so he picked her over us. So I could see that, like, I wasn't enough. You picked somebody else type of thing over me. And then, uh, something else you brought up in that, brought that together too. Let's see. What else did you say about the the um, the shoelessness and the let's see. yeah the, the shoelessness yeah it it feels like an acute representation of the energy coming from the first scene which is like 
there is something about me that is fundamentally lacking that um, right. it feels like what the dream was showing is that there was some acute moment in your life as an adult where the strategy no longer worked and you were um, stopped because you were seen as not worthy. Yeah. So then I would say that was the other thing is that later in my life, so in my, uh, I want to say it was like 1920, something like that. I dated a guy who was just like extremely abusive in the sense of um, verbally abusive and would constantly tell me that I, you know, all the thing, all the worst things you could possibly tell somebody, essentially he would just shame me to death. Like I, I'm, I'm this terrible person that's never going to be able to be more, be enough or whatever right. it was. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's where that came up the second time for me and kind of like cemented a lot of it. Continue to, with the dream, please. Um, so where was I? So she was the guard, the guard there stopped me and notified me that I couldn't come in with shoes without shoes on my stomach sunk with shame. Again, the feeling of incomplete, incomplete, not enoughness. And this time the embarrassment would be in front of my bosses. The guard asked me to step aside as the others in my group exited the narrow staircase into the tiny reception landing. As I did my best to step out of the way, I stepped down the I stepped down in between the last two rows of seats in the back of the theater. Showtime was very near, so the theater was already entirely full. The seating area in the back was all children, mostly in middle school age range. I wedged my way between two preteen girls who were unimpressed by my shoeless feet and made some snide comments under their breath. I stepped into the empty space just in front of them, and my leg bumped the back of the seat in the next row. A chubby, redheadish preteen boy was leaning back in the seat and looked up at me with disdain and agitation. He barked some of his disapprovals at me. Yep. It feels like the... It feels like the place that this entire event is happening, you know, it, it feels like it's a representation of your psyche and that these people in the back, it feels so the framework that I'm working from is that all of the characters that arise inside of our dreams are emanations of parts of ourselves. And, um, it feels like the kids in the back that are watching. Um, it feels like this is both your younger feminine and masculine self. And it feels like, and I'm sorry to redheads out there, but that your psyche is using the redheadness to represent that, like, this is an aspect of your inner critic, like your inner judge that is, um, that you've condemned and that you've have like not allowed to grow. And that's why it's, you know, acting like this right now. Like a redheaded stepchild. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry guys. (laughs) Hmm. So it's a, you're saying it's a part of me that is stunted essentially. Correct. Yeah. But so the redhead stepchild persona is, a it's a it's a character who's 
judgmental or what is the persona? Yeah, I'm not sure what it is actually. I just wanted to share that that was coming up in me and it might just be better to continue with unfolding the dream. So my back of my leg hits the the uh, redheadish preteen boy, uh, his chair, and he's leaning back in his seat, and he looks up at me with disdain and agitation. He barks some of his disapprovals at me. Hey, watch it! Can't you stand somewhere else? Uncomfortable where I stood, being oh, judged. Oh, interesting. And- okay, so the thing that pops up: um, Do you have a hard time um, maintaining your boundaries? Like to tell I think I have no, a- or to move. Yeah, for sure. Like, just I think, I think I'm still learning what bound. I mean, I know what boundaries are now, but I think that I'm still learning how to put them in place in my life. So, yes, I see. That's what that feels like. Is it a under nurtured part of you that would enforce your boundaries? Yeah, I think I have a really hard time. Um, you know, doing anything that might make someone feel bad, even if it's me feeling bad instead. For sure. Okay. Can we keep going? Please. Uncomfortable where I stood, being judged and nudged by these children, I watched as my group climbed out into the reception platform. They scanned their tickets and carried on towards the VIP boxes around the corner. Some of them stopping to ask what my holdup was, me explaining as little as possible as to avoid further embarrassment. With shoulder-length blonde hair, Chris entered the theater last, and as the guard scanned his ticket, I informed him that they weren't going to let me in because I needed shoes. Chris confirmed that he'd told our friends to bring my shoes earlier, but when I asked him if he knew what seats they were in, he said he didn't and couldn't reach them by phone either. Chris shrugged as if unable to help me any further and carried on towards where the rest of the group had gone. I hoped he'd stay with me, but he didn't. Distraught and now beginning to cry, I stood with the guard as he apologized that he wasn't going to let me or wasn't going to be able to permit me entrance. So I watched as the back of Chris's blunt. Um, Has there been a time where you felt... And maybe it was after this relationship with this man when you were like 19 or 20, but where you kind of felt like your soul was not with you in your life. Mm. Like, I guess the question is like true, deep depression. The only, the only time I have felt like that was, uh, when I was, I don't know that I would have described it as my soul wasn't with me. Maybe I could describe it like that now, but I feel like I didn't understand anything about who I was or what I was, or even how to question those things very, very well. Um, especially during that time with that guy. I mean, that, that was the definitely the darkest relationship I was ever in by far. I see. Okay. An interesting thing that comes up is uh, when I think of the scene with everyone on stage, um, something about the fact that you knew that they would be doing that for 30 days feels like it 
is a representation of like cycles and nature. And then when you were chasing after the self or the part of you that ran out, and then you saw kind of the forest clearing that you were in, or not really a forest clearing, but like the, like it felt like nature, that you also mm -hmm. thought like this would be a beautiful place to shoot a calendar. It feels like, um, it feels so. Um, I can feel myself projecting my story onto this and I'm just going to share it and see how it resonates. But okay. do you feel that the inclination of you where you're at right now to not to want to have children is an emanation of not yet bringing home the parts of you that um, are ashamed? Can you say that again? Yeah. <clears throat> so this kind of just sprouted out of my consciousness right now, but it feels like kind of the overtone of this dream is that um, so truly like the end of the dream feels like you're at the point now where you're ready to truly bring home this part of you that has been rejected mm -hmm. um, because it's been seen as shameful or just not worthy of love. And there's this overarching theme of sexual union and of cycles that feels like at least in me, the thing that I'm seeing here, and again, I'm completely aware that I might be projecting my story onto this, but that there is this hint that as this part of you comes home back to yourself, that it's going to lead the way to you being energetically open to having children. But Interesting. Yeah, I think that could definitely, I could see the relation there. Um, for sure, a big part of me, it's not that I don't want to have children. It's just that, it, you know, I just don't feel stable or ready. But, and I'm sure a big part of that is in my mind, you know, like my, my ability to, hold all the things that I want to be able to hold that maybe is what I think a good mother or parent makes. Um, and hugely, you know, and probably anyone who's been through a divorce, um, not themselves, I mean, a child of a divorced family can understand that feeling at a state in a relationship with the other person that would be the potential parent of your future children there's so much fear that you're going to repeat you know of course the pattern that your parents uh, did yeah. that caused feels like it caused you so much harm so i think that's a big piece of it but i think what you're bringing up is sh for sure uh a part of my resin you know the reason that i have not decided gung-ho that i want to have kids for sure or not you know i think knowing myself has been such an important part of my journey and I'm feeling much more confident in it, you know, over t as time passes. But, and I do think I'll get to a place where, where I feel confident in that. Will it be in the time where I still have eggs that are able to be fertilized? <laughs> I don't know. Um, 
so yeah, I think that the, there's definitely something in there about that. And a th- so like a technique that I would want to offer and that I think might be useful to other people listening is um, if, and this is not something that you have to do right now, but that if you imagined, um, if you used, if if you allowed yourself to get relaxed and, you know, maybe you meditate or go into a float tank or um, do whatever you need to do to connect to this kind of non-rational part of your mind and you just allowed the active imagination to unfold, that you connect to the end of this dream and you walk up to those two parts of you and then see what happens. And I think that that is the next um, step here is what happens when you actually connect to that part of you and you let that part speak. Hmm. Okay. I kind of had to jump ahead because I'm going to have to go pretty soon. Yeah, no worries. So what do you think about it being, why, or why did it come to me in my dream that this is Aya, do you feel? Yeah, so this is really interesting. Um, So the first thing that comes up is it might be that your psyche used that to explain to you that this was like there is enough work here in this dream for you to unpack that it would be as if you did an ayahuasca ceremony. And I think mm-hmm. that that is what resonates because you and I talked off air and you said that you don't feel called to actually do ayahuasca from this dream. And so it feels like your psyche knows exactly the sentence to say to seal the significance of this dream to the deepest part of your being. And that sentence is, this is Aya. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that... And then I woke up. (laughs) Yes. There is so much here that we could probably do 10 episodes an hour each going through a lot of the main themes that I saw in here. And this could really be something that's, you know, unpacked for you personally for months. And it's incredible that you get these type of downloads. Like I've, I do not get these often. Man. I don't I'm not I wouldn't say that I get the big ones like I've had probably five really huge ones that I can think of in my life that stuck with me but journaling it for sure helps so that I can go over it and over it and figure out, you know, dissect. But it is a blessing and a curse these vivid dreams so anyone <laughs> out there who's got who's got this going on in their brain. Hey, you know what I was thinking actually just yesterday um was is there is there any correlation between like we before we got on air we were talking about schizophrenics and I'm thinking I've had this thought that that extremely vivid dreams like I often confuse reality with my dream world like oh did I dream that or you sure. know something seems really weird I'm like hmm or even in waking life I'll be like 
man, this is such a weird thing that's happening right now. Is this a dream? Like I'll double check myself. So does that, is that a brain imbalance of some sort? Or is it like similar to something that someone with a, a serious imbalance would suffer from? So I think imbalance is not the right word to dance with. Uh, I do. So for sure, the people in our culture that get categorized as schizophrenic in a lot of um, older, more quote-unquote primitive or primordial cultures, they would have been the ones initiated into the, like, the role of shaman or the medicine person or some Mm-hmm. sort of um role like that because they showed indicators of being less attached to the physical world and having more access to you know these other dimensions or whatever stories that we would use linguistically to explain being able to contact you know this part of the psyche and i do think my intuition is is and i think it, this is more common in women than men for whatever reason i don't understand but that if there is, if you think of schizophrenia as a spectrum and level, the far right pendulum is full blown schizophrenia as we understand it. And then the full left spectrum is basically like autism or something where there's just absolutely no connection to that part of the psyche. I think that um, people with super vivid dreams are slightly beyond the center moving towards the realm of the schizophrenic but that it's not a thing to be worried about it's actually like you're able to peer beyond the veil of the quote-unquote ordinary world and it's got pros and cons and my guess would be that whatever the genetically inheritable aspect of schizophrenia is that there is something trackable in the genes for people who self-report as having particularly vivid and intense dreams. Yeah. That's, it's so interesting to me. It's just like, we have these minds that do this work without us even (laughs) asking for it. But yeah, I mean, it can, it can be scary. Like, well, shit, if I can do this, what else, what else is in there? Um, but again, like I was talking to you about earlier, it's just my own fears of like, am I going to go batshit crazy one day? Yeah. There's a quote that I love and it's that, um, the mystic and the madman, um, are in the same pool, but where the madman drowns, the mystic swims. Hmm. And you're probably in the pool, Mercedes, and I think you can learn how to swim. Yeah, no, I'm definitely uh, taking my lesson seriously. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, I, thanks for diving into that with me. It was just one I was like, you know what? I'm about to go on Eric's show anyway. We better talk about this. Absolutely. And I'm glad that we gave it the time that we did instead of trying to fit it in five minutes at the end of the podcast because that would never have worked. No, for sure. So it's really cool. I, I definitely have a lot, I think, to sit with in in that on its own but even since the dream other stuff is you know populated in my life like even books that are literally speaking directly to things in the dream that i need to work on so yeah i think i'm that's where i'm opening to that mystic side you know where i'm allowing stuff to just be called in instead of 
feel like I have to like force the search for these tools and think logically or analyze everything to death. Yeah. And clearly one of the messages from the dream was um, that this is not something that is solvable with the analytic mind. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for sharing your dreams. Um, I think that we have a lot more to talk about just about this one dream. And I love what you're doing in the world. And I appreciate your service. Thank you. I'm, I'm, uh, one of my goals is to start painting my dreams since they're yeah, vivid and they're there. I might as well do it. Yes. So I feel like that'll be the stillness that I need in order to really do some of the work that's being asked for in these dreams. So I'll let you know when that happens for me. Maybe we can get some visuals. I cannot you, wait. Truly. I, I think that that's the right move. Cool. Thanks, Eric. This is awesome. Thank you.